Hello and welcome to the Macrofab Engineering Podcast. We're your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. This is the first time in like four weeks we do not have any guests. Yeah. So that's a, a, a different thing. We can kind of get back to doing some updates on projects. Yes. And this is uh, episode 24 now. Mm-hmm. So that's been four months, right? Something like that. No. Six months. We started in uh, February. Yeah, so six months. Yeah. Oh, geez. People still listen to us. <laughs> um, I've been working on the super simple power supply front panel test board. Right. And everything's been mostly okay with all the tests so far, except the display. So I'm using a VFD display made by uh, Nortaki. Mm-hmm. And works great, looks great. The problem is their data sheet is absolutely horrendous for the serial interface hmm. so the actual like documentation of like how to send the data is fine but the pinout it actually doesn't specify the pinout for that connector do you just guess yeah so it's it's got a 16 pin connector because it normally supports four slash eight bit you know normal uh character display yeah but then it's got a auxiliary six pin connector for serial and it doesn't tell you the pin numbers? It does not tell you the pin numbers. Of course. And so I assumed 1 to 16 and then 1 to 6. Yeah. Incorrect. 1 to 16, 6 to 1. <laughs> they they reverse them? It is backwards. <laughs> so that was an interesting thing to figure out. Because I, I, like, I hooked up my logic analyzer and everything. I'm like, I'm sending the right stuff. Why is it not talking back to me? <laughs> yeah. So it kind of seems like when we don't have guests, we default to data sheet uh, rants. Yeah, data sheet rants. Um, but yeah, I, all I had to do was just I cut all the pins and just like jumper them around to swap them out. Yeah, uh, it works. So the 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 whole test board looks awesome. It is bright as hell. Yeah, I think it's got. It looks like a little tiny nuclear reactor. Well, how bright yeah, the displays are. You were just you were sort of trying to test all the. Well, all, all the LEDs, all the switches, all the displays and stuff, and you have them all crushed down into a small enough package. Yeah. And so the whole thing just glows. It's awesome. Yeah. The the great thing about it is um, at 5 volts, everything turned on, it pulls 2.7 amps at 5 volts. Um, this is enough. The regulator can handle 5 amps, but I didn't think for some reason that it's got 2.5 volt regulator that powers almost all the LEDs. Mm-hmm. Those, uh, that regulator can handle 5 amps, but I don't have any ground plane around it to dissipate the heat. So it's just the case. So it's just the case. And it, it will work for about a minute and then it'll just start cycling as, it, as the thermal uh, the shutdown shut hits and then cools down, comes yeah. back up. I basically what I did is I, I glued a piece of aluminum on top. That was enough to keep it from stopping to do that. It'll handle the full 2.7 or 2.3 amps or whatever? Yeah, yeah. With a little chunk of aluminum glue? A little chunk of aluminum, yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, what's the package? Is it one of those D-packs? Yeah, it's a D-pack 3. Okay. And it's just all it was was the pads on the board? Yes. I didn't have, <laughs> I didn't have any thermal relief on it. Hey, it's a test board. But yeah. And so I, I actually extrapolated that out to the full panel. Um. The whole front panel is going to burn 12 amps at 5 volts. Mm. So it's going to be 60 <laughs> watts just in LEDs on this power supply. Wow. So we actually are going to have to design a auxiliary power supply inside the power supply to power up the front display. Just 
for lights. Just for the lights. But okay, so but that twelve amps is is assuming every light turns on. Correct. But uh, under normal operation, maybe half, if not more than half, will be on. Yeah, but you still got planned for worst case scenario. Yeah, no, no. But what I'm saying is, if you have half of them on, that's still six amps at five volts. That's true. So it's it's going to need its own power supply. Yeah. So I think we we are now planning on having three separate transformers Correct. inside this one box. Correct. This might take the cake for one of the heaviest power supplies also. Yeah, I wonder what we should do is instead of rating power supplies by like square or, or cubic inch per watt, it should be watt weight. per pound. Watt per pound. Watt per pound. Yeah. <laughs> watt per unit of weight. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. We we, we need to we need to report back once it's done because so, I bet you but, it's really low. <laughs> so the best would be, it would be um, well, usually when you have a power supply, the heavier it is, usually makes make, means it's good. Sure. Well, that's that was the old way of doing like when you ha- picked up like computer power supplies. Oh yeah, if it had like, some heft to it, it had some heft to it. You knew it had good chokes and good inductors and had and beefy heat sinks. Beefy heat sinks. Yeah. Whereas if you picked up, you know, a supposedly five hundred watt power supply that weighed as much as like, you know, a you know a couple pe- pieces of paper. Yeah. <laughs> you question it. You question it's it. It's also it's also like when you were a kid with Christmas, you went and you know picked up your presents underneath the tree and the heavy ones you knew. You knew there was some good stuff in there. Or it sounded like Legos. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I used to shake them looking for Legos. Because <laughs> Legos had that right, that, that noise to it. Oh, yeah. You knew. That's, that's awesome. Actually, speaking of that um, little random tangent, when uh, I was growing up, my parents said if I shook the, my presents, it would break. Oh. Yeah. Little my, tip for all the parents out there. My parents... Didn't didn't do that, and and it was it was kind of a guarantee that I was gonna get Legos. So I was just I was kind of like looking at the dimensions of the box and shaking it to kind of oh, get an idea for what I was and, getting. And then go over to like Toys R Us and then like measure out which measure, boxes. Measure, yeah. <laughs> uh. So for toy makers out there too, use standard box sizes, so you can throw kids off. So you can throw kids at off Christmas time. Christmas time. <laughs> Uh, cool. Well, I, I actually so I've I've also been uh, working on SSPS on uh, my side. I got uh, my board coming through the mix uh, here soon. Yeah, we were actually looking at that board uh, today on the panel. Yep, yep. So there's a few more through hole parts that uh, need to get installed, and I think that board's got like eight zillion via stitches to ground. That's the macro amp, not the SSPS. Oh, okay. The macro amp, yeah, uh, the, uh, the the amp that uses the Korg new tubes uh, and whatnot. I I did some ridiculous via stitching, uh, but on the on the SSPS board, uh, the analog side, it's the it's the high voltage, high current voltage regulator um, and the um, all the peripheral stuff and the analog and the digital communication side of things. So it's kind of like the all-in-one package that your board will eventually meet up with and talk to. Yep. Uh, and I made a mistake. Parker had a, um, I think it's a 3.3-volt regulator that was like, 
his go-to or, or something like that. I, it was, it was a week or two ago. And he, he, he gave me that, uh, that part number is like, use this. It's perfect. It's great. I've used it a billion times. So I was like, awesome. Yeah, I'll use it. So I throw it into my design and lo and behold, I didn't change the footprint, uh, from the <laughs> thing. So I've got a D-pack footprint and this three, three regulator, which I think is in, I don't remember what it is. Is but it a SOT two three three package? It might be so. I cannot. I can't remember right now. But yeah, no. He, it, it, one of our assemblers walks up and he goes, "Is is this your board?" And I was like, "Yeah." And he's like, "This part doesn't really fit here." And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> damn it!" <laughs> well, engineers are people too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm gonna have to dead bug a, a little regulator. Luckily, there's not a lot of current, so I really don't care. Yeah, uh, it's a test board. That's what they're here for. And the the copper bus bar for the for the um, capacitor showed up too. Yep. So five sixteenths by five sixteenths solid copper bar by six feet long. By six feet long. That's that is right. a heavy piece of metal. Yeah. I was actually really surprised how heavy that thing is. So we're we're going to be drilling through and putting. I think they're M five uh, bolts. They go directly through this and mount straight into the capacitors. So the caps are all going to be tied together on through these copper bars. Yeah, should be pretty nice. I like how we're mixing um, an imperial copper bar with these M5 screws. Well, okay, so um, it's weird. Uh, I think it's M5. I, I might need to uh, check, check that. But the head of the screw is, is exactly 5 sixteenths. Uh, so I chose that so that there's no chance of shorting if something gets kind of a, a skew, uh, and it fits perfectly on the little shelf of the top of the caps. So it just kind of happened to work out. Also, it's a standard part number at McMaster Car, so it worked yeah. out really well. And we're going to be using um, the the Energon cube is the whole system together with the the caps and the analog board and the water cooling and stuff. But we're actually using the standoffs that hold the PCB above the caps as the conductor for for uh, moving things in. So should be cool. Yeah. Uh, hopefully next week we have that all cut up and that part all working, powered up. Yeah, yeah. Should uh, be possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll be receiving the board here soon, so I'll... Uh, We'll get some images up, and next week I'm certainly spending some time on it. Yeah, should be cool. So, now the uh, FX dev board, right? Yeah, FX dev board. Um, the through-hole breadboard that we've been working with, uh, and by working I mean struggling with for quite a while now, I've found an interesting um, artifact, might be the right word here. Um, so... Data sheets are fantastic. Oh, and another we use, data sheet rant. We use data sheets all the time. Exactly, yeah. We use them all the time in order to accurately create our parts. Uh, but data sheets are not always accurate themselves. And we found that the hard way with these boards. Uh, there's a dimension on the data sheet we've been using that is uh, that claims that some holes are uh, 1.54 millimeters from the edge of the uh the breadboard itself and that's a kind of an interesting number if you look at the decimal 0.54 it kind of raises some eyebrows and and this one dimension expands across like 95 pins on this thing found out that that should be 2.54 which is 100 mil which is 100 mil exactly uh so the data sheet was wrong 
uh, I had contacted the manufacturer originally and said, hey, there's something up with these boards. I, at this time, I didn't know what was up. And they, they sent me an email back being like, no, our, bo- our data sheet's perfect. Your, your footprint's wrong. <laughs> and no, no, their data sheet is wrong. Yep. Uh, so I was off by just a slight bit on the footprint. One millimeter off. One millimeter off. That's right. So uh, we've got that fixed now. Yes. Uh, I'm actually going to be using that breadboard on a different project, too. Yeah. What's that? The, uh, I'm working on a parallax propeller similar setup. So all the pins on the prop go to a breadboard and has a, uh, a selectable, you know, voltage buses and that kind of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. I can't wait. You know, actually, an FPGA that does this too would be nice. That would be cool. Yeah, especially since you'd have like 144 IO going all out to the breadboards. Uh, yeah, I think you would just be able to... Mm, I don't know if there's enough pins, unless you doubled up your breadboards. But yeah. that would be super cool. Double up the breadboards. That would be awesome. So, got a uh, a, a new article out on um, creating pads for BGAs. Yeah, uh, SMD versus NSMD, yeah. which is not surface mount device, though. No, it's, uh, it, it, it is a surface mount pad... Versus, I'm sorry, uh, solder mask defined, SMD, solder mask defined pad, or a non-solder mask defined pad. Uh, something that's kind of interesting that, that you don't really look at uh, very often with a lot of surface mount parts is how you uh, create your actual copper and um, the way that solder actually adheres to the copper. Um, it, it doesn't normally make a difference with, say, a... 0805 cap it, it really doesn't uh but when it gets down to really small balls on a bga you have to be real careful with how you create your pads so we kind of cover that in the uh in the bga article yeah and um basically it's it's to use non-solder mask defined pads is is what the com- come away with is right? yeah the, the come away with with all the research i did is that in general typically you use non-solder mask defined pads which basically means you have the copper pad that you define the size of and then you have a blank area and then the solder mask is defined as larger than the pad itself and this has a couple of benefits uh, mainly that the ball the solder ball from the bga actually adheres to the entire piece of copper including the edges so you get better um solder adherence i guess you could say to the Sheer to the covers yeah yeah <laughs> almost and 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 uh so really another takeaway is that do in general do whatever the manufacturer says but if in doubt go nsmd yeah i i was actually talking to someone who was uh building a board with with a bga and actually atmel suggests to do smd it, it, it um they ended up doing nsmd mm-hmm. because you can get away with, uh, you get more spacing between your pads. So, so they can sneak the traces, uh, wider traces, so you don't have to pay for basically extended manufacturing. Yeah, that's one of the benefits of NSMD is because the actual copper landing, you can reduce it by up to 20%, uh, giving you more room to sneak traces through. And in some cases, that's just enough to get your trace out. Of the, uh, without paying a ridiculous amount of money yeah, for it. That way you can stay with, was it, 6 mil, 6 mil spacing? Yep. And then uh, instead of having to go to 4 mil or, or 3 mil. Well, and, and so here's the thing that's cool. Um, a lot of manufacturers are, are saying 
use SMD mainly because it actually has less thermal stress on the BGA. So you don't yank the BGA in a bunch of different directions. But what's, what's actually kind of a newer idea that's been going around is to use NSMD for, uh, for all the balls that are internal and then for the outer two uh, rings of the of balls, so say on like a, a thousand twenty four pin guy, the outer two rows would all be SMD and the inners all NSMD. And what that does is it actually helps pull the outside of the BGA down while giving you the ability to escape on the inside. Huh. So that'd be interesting. Yeah, it's I it's, wonder, it's a sneaky. Yeah, I wonder. I bet you there's a there's an app note or a white paper out there where someone's actually like somehow measured all that stress force oh, and stuff. Know, and you know what? All said and done, like you can usually just get away with one or the other. Yeah. Uh, NSMD seems safer because it has more pulling force. Uh, so when you place the BGA and it goes through the reflow, it has more stuff to stick to. So the surface tension will pull the BGA into alignment. And so that's kind of preferable. Yeah, I wonder if, uh, if SMD would have better lifespan because less thermal stress on the board. Less thermal stress, and I also, I, I guess it has fewer areas for, uh, like, acid traps or anything to get inside of and etch away stuff. Yep. Um, NSMD, uh, the pads, they're only held down by the glue from the copper. Yes. With SMD pads, it's the glue from the copper plus a shield of solder mask. Solder mask, yep. Uh, so it kind of helps glue them down in a way. Um but what I've what I've heard is that's kind of in the past that was helpful, but uh, modern technology where we're at in contract manufacturing, it's not necessarily an issue. Yeah, that, it probably would have helped a lot with um, lower TG boards, like yeah, TG one forty, where where what, the that laminate might not survive the high temperature of of. Uh, if it, yeah, if it warps or if it ripples or any kind of weirdness, you can pull all those pads off, especially yeah. if your pads are you know point. Five millimeter? No, point three five millimeter. Point three five, yeah, yeah, yeah. Little little dots. Little dots. So, um, we will be having actually another BGA article coming out here soon. Um, so we're, we were kind of doing a two part with this. So the first one was creating pads. The next article is actually going to be about how to get out of those pads. So we're going to talk about escaping and getting your traces out. So, cool. Be looking forward to that. Um, speaking of escaping, I've been working with uh, USB Type C. Um, and if you look at these USB Type C, because they have normal USB, you have four pins. Yeah. Um, power, ground, differential pair. Unless you have uh, micro USB, you have um, uh, a fifth pin mm -hmm. for on the go detection. Right. So you can basically reverse the direction of your of your port. USB Type C's got twenty four pins. Yeah, it's, it's got a ton. And they're very close together. I can't remember the exact pitch of most of these connectors offhand, but it was close enough to where um, I was sweating a little bit trying to escape some of these pins. Because um, I'm trying to uh, figure out how to implement Type-C connector for USB 2.0 and 2.1, mm -hmm. which is what 99% of your applications is going to be for, right. this, for this stuff. And so basically updating your normal USB stuff to Type-C connector. The good thing is you only need, let's see, you need the CC1, CC2 pins, and the connector, that does orientation connection for the host side. Right. So, so the host can figure out what side your connectors are at, 
and also it lets the host know what kind of device kind of um, it gets really confusing what kind of device you're plugging into it is it is it just like logic kind of it, or it, does it, it sense a voltage it sets a voltage because you have pull downs on the device side and for USB 2.0 and 2.1 you use 5.1k 10% resistors yeah to pull down the ground on both those pins. Okay, so so it still is just like a like a two bit system. Yeah. With CC. Okay. I thought I thought it was detecting the voltage across the line and based off of where the voltage was, it was doing some funkiness. It actually does some some funkiness there on the host side. It's, but does it? But doesn't that kind of rely on the length of the cable and the quality of the conductor? Uh, and the... There's actually specifications for that stuff. So wow, you're okay there. Type Type C is crazy. Yeah. Um, and then you also have um, D plus, D minus, the differential pair, yeah. which is normal for USB 2.0. Yep. That sits right in the middle. That's actually four pins out of the connector. So one side... Are they tied together? You tie them together on the on your device side, but that way is when they're, they're reversed. And so your connector gets flipped over, you still have your D plus, ah, D minus, and right gotcha, spots. Gotcha, gotcha. And then it's got four pins for ground, four pins for power... And those are reversible as well. Mm-hmm. Basically, they took the entire top row and then they mirrored it on the other side. On and the- that's how it pretty much handles the reversibility. Are the contacts on one side of the... No, on both sides. Okay. okay. Because there's, you, there's for USB 3.1, you have to have more differential pairs. Yeah. You have to have four differential pairs for that. Right. And those are in that connector as well. But for 2.0 and 2.1, you don't have to use that. So I didn't route those out. But I basically was trying to do the normal manufacturing we do at Macrofab and implement Type C. Barely made it. <laughs> it's, it's I had to use tough. like the smallest drill, the smaller annual rings, the smallest traces. Got it. Well, you're saying without paying extra. Yeah, without having to go to the extended manufacturing. Yeah, because we can we can go smaller. It's just there's a fee for that. Correct. Yeah. I think if you were basically going to have to implement 3.0 USB, so you had to have more differential pairs, you would have to go extended manufacturing just to snake those traces out. Oh, that kind of sucks. Yeah, it's kind of But normal, I guess though. it's nature of the game. Yeah, because you pretty much need 4 mil traces and micro vias wow. to get, out, get it out. So it sounds like you need to publish your... Uh, your design right there so people can just basically copy it. Well, see well if assuming it if it works. Assuming it yeah, works. Right. So I, I actually just put it through the system today. Okay. So hopefully in two weeks, I have a functioning parallax propeller dev board that has Type-C connector on it. That's cool. I hope. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, forgot to mention this. Is uh, I've been using that that we have this like really cheap Chinese like USB power meter. Oh yeah, the power sniffer. Yeah, the power sniffer, which works okay. Uh, I've noticed it has some funkiness because I think it doesn't actually like route the data through the device correctly. I think it has to. I think it goes through an intermediate like chip somewhere in there. I may have huh. to pop it open and see what it actually does. I wonder why it would do that. Because um, I've noticed that USB 2.0 BCD, which is the power charge detection, yeah, doesn't work through it. That's weird. Yeah, it's really weird. Um, so I'm actually going to work on my own version of that power meter yeah. that will support BCD 
Um, and I also want it so I can actually just, you know, dump data, like record data through on my computer with it. You got you. Yeah. Yeah, because I would think that it, if if you make a sniffer, it's not supposed to affect anything on the line. It's, it's just supposed, supposed to. to tell you what's on the line. Yeah. Hmm. It doesn't. Interesting. Yeah, and I think the interesting thing is this power meter also powers itself from the port you plugged it into. So it's not 100% accurate on the power. Well, whatever. You have to subtract whatever it takes yes. from the line. Well, the device I want to make is it's powered by an alt, uh, no, outside source. <laughs> you have it plugged into a different USB port. That's basically what's going to be. <laughs> Yeah, so it's going to be it's powered by a different USB port. Yeah, and that way the other port I'm probably going to have 100% isolation with, so I make sure it's not being messed with. Right, and then you'll get accurate numbers. Yep. Because you originally got the sniffer because you were working on what the uh, the prop flicker. Or? Yeah, prop dev flicker. Yeah, because it was doing some weird stuff, pulling tons of current. Yeah, and it ended up not being that problem. It was a the USB port was just. A piece of junk that it's plugged into. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, and I guess we'll go right into RFO. Sounds good. Um, and since we're talking about USB Type 3, mm-hmm. uh, type, type C, C Type C, um, uh, Intercell has this really cool chip mm-hmm. that's for Type C. Um, it's the ISL 9237, which is a buck boost converter. Um, it's got a narrow output, which is actually really weird. I've never seen them like any manufacturer like, oh yeah, this chip's got a narrow output. It's like, <laughs> usually it's like no one actually says it does. Yeah. It's like, that's not a selling point for a chip. Yeah. No, it's always they, wide like, output. Yeah. Wide output, ultimate features, you know, crazy. But yeah, so they're like, oh yeah, this thing is narrow output, blah, 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 blah. Basically it's for powering up battery packs. Yeah. And the uh, cool thing about this chip is it supports basically all the uh, power modes for USB Type-C. So it can do 5-volt, 12-volt, 20-volt. So it can do 100 watts yeah. to power up and charge up your lithium battery pack. You know, I'm, I'm curious. It's, it's called a buck boost, but none of the voltages are lower than any of the other voltages. I, I wonder why they can uh, do 3 Because it can charge a dual cell. So 7.4 volt. But that's still a boost. I, I wonder why it's not just a boost converter. If it's 20 volt in, you got to buck down. Wait, 20 volt into what? If you have a 20 volt source charging yeah. up a 7.4 volt battery, you have to buck down. Oh, okay. I get, I'm sorry. I, I, I was assuming that this was always tied to a 5 volt source. No, 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 no. It can a- be tied to a 20. 5, 12, 20, which is the USB Type-C power delivery system. Gotcha. Gotcha. So it can go either way. Yes. That's cool. And it That's supports really cool. USB on the go. So basically when you charge up your cell, mm-hmm. so this is like basically like an a, you can plug your laptop into it. Yeah. And since it, your laptop becomes an on-the-go device for this battery cell, yeah. and then it basically your laptop is powered by this battery cell now. So it goes the opposite direction as well. It can be a charger and a discharger. So my phone can charge my laptop. Yes, with the chip in it. <laughs> that sounds pointless, but yeah. a fun exercise. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool chip. Um 
Um, so I'm probably going to try that that part out when it finally hits the market. Hasn't come out yet. Um, well, I think you, it was. You got a little bit of time to test out your layout. Yeah. Well, this is going to be more on the like full implementation of yeah. Type C. The first thing I'm trying is just upgrading a micro USB design to Type C. You know, I, I remember seeing your footprint for the Type C connector. Now that I think about it, it seems like it's kind of meant for like six layer plus boards. Yeah. It looks. It, it almost seems like in order to escape it, you would have to do six. Yeah, layers. I think you'd have to at least do four layer minimal. Yeah, four four layer at just getting by. But I'm hoping with this um, the the implementation I did, you can just upgrade your normal two layer USB 2.0 micro USB devices with this connector with this setup. Yeah. Basically, you have to change the connector and add two resistors, and that's it. That's all you have to do. Well, that's nice. Oh, uh, the two 5.1 case? Yes. For the drop-down on the CC? Yep. Yeah. And that should work. Cool. Some, there's some app notes that say you can use one 5.1K and then bridge them together, but there's a lot of conflicting app notes and data sheets about Type-C out there. Um, it's well, really hard to find. It's probably not going to break the bank to add another 5.1K. No, I, I, am going, I actually set up the, the board so I can just bridge it over. And so te- I can test, test it. it out. Yeah, I guess it just pulls twice as much current if yeah. you do that. I mean, on on that line, whatever that line is from the host. Yeah, eh, we'll see. Cool. Uh, and what's been sweeping the news this past weekend was Pokemon Go. We don't usually talk about apps on this show. No, but this one's ridiculous. But this one, well, it's not really about Pokemon Go. Yeah. But SparkFun had a really cool project. Um, they made a Pokédex. Yeah. For those who don't know, that's like in the in the show, the Pokemon show is that's like their PDA. I guess is a good way to put it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> that records all the Pokemon data. Someone does made, anyone even carry PDAs anymore? A smartphone is just a PDA. It's a glorified a, version of one, but like yeah. an official PDA. Well, when when well, the I guess they sh- do now with Pokédex. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> but when when the Pokemon show came out, smartphones didn't exist. That's true. So yeah. it was like a PDA. Um, it, it, it was like Encyclopedia Britannica for the Pokemon world in your hand. Yeah. In digital. Yes. So, but they made a 3D printed case that you put your smartphone in that you could play Pokemon Go in. Wow. But they even went one step further as they added a big lithium cell and a charger for that lithium cell so you could basically have an extended battery life while you're playing and you don't run out of battery life while catching a Pokemon. They, they fixed everything except for your data plan where yeah. it just gets obliterated by playing that <laughs> by game. By playing the game. <laughs> you know, I was thinking is speaking of Pokédexes in the, in, the, in, the, in the... I don't know if a lot of people watch the show or whatnot. I watched it a lot when I was a kid. And just thinking about it is so the whole, sh- whole, whole thing about the show is the guy is going out and recording Pokemon to, like, quote, catch them all or, like, record them all. I think the professor wants you to, like, basically record all the Pokemon. Sure, right. yeah. But the Pokedex knows all the information about these things. Like, when you scan one in, it has, like, all the lists of what it is. So he already has this data database. Yeah. <laughs> like, everything already exists. Everything so. already exists. Why? 
whatever. Maybe it's just some kind of like rite to passage thing where you have to go and discover all this information that already exists. Already exists. And then you're like a man or something like that. <laughs> in that universe? <laughs> in that universe. In the Pokemon universe? <laughs> so I have to admit, I, I, I did download Pokemon Go just because I was like, what is it? I just don't get it. I, I don't understand it. And my shop, I found out that my workshop is a gym. And <laughs> I didn't even know that my workshop is a is a Pokemon gym, are you, and are I you told everyone that the only Pokemon I've ever seen at my gym are cockroaches and spiders. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to defend it every day, then, huh? Uh, you know, I the I really gym. I don't even know how the game works. I haven't put much time into it, but it, I, I'm I'm the game has told me that I am I am not a high enough level to even like do anything so it's like <laughs> i'm like i don't want to put time into this game <laughs> but yeah this game is um i have i haven't downloaded it yet either um but apparently it's bigger than twitter now it's it's incredible it is absolutely insane my facebook feed like every other post is about pokemon go yeah uh it's the, the concept is really cool it's it's awesome that it's like gathering data from your location and making a game out of it. So I don't know. I, I like it. I think it's cool. It's yeah. just, I don't know if I'm going to dump time into it. I, I was just impressed how fast SparkFun came up with that project. SparkFun knew this was something big, and they, they got on that. They got it on. Or they had some like Pokemon nerds there who was like, I got to do this. P both. Well, both. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a guarantee. Uh, and the uh, big project that's actually came out this week is the Arduino door lock that is activated by opening an incognito window in Chrome. <laughs> I saw that. I'm like, immediately, I was like, I know exactly what he's using that for. <laughs> Everyone knows exactly what he's using that um, for. <laughs> so it's it's basically a, a, a script that's running on Chrome, yeah. a plug-in. And it basically tells an Arduino to move a, a, ser servo. a hobby servo to throw a, a lock. Yeah. Pretty simple. Um, he says he uses it when he goes shopping for gifts for his mm, wife. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, exactly what he uses it for. My, my favorite is what it's actually, what the script is called. What is it? Fap. <laughs> <laughs> This guy is pretty uh, pretty brazen to yeah. just get out there and And when you read the article it has that. nothing about that stuff, but when you actually like look at his video and you go through like you look at the variable names and stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he probably had way too much fun making this project. Yeah. He's got a lot of other interesting projects like um he's got like an automatic um automatic toilet paper dispenser. I don't know why you would need one of those, but it's a cool project. This this guy's all into like, I guess like toilet humor and bathroom level stuff, and <laughs> that's that's hilarious. But yeah, um, I think it's a cool project. Um, I'm actually surprised this is the first time someone's actually built one of these. I I guess you could call him an innovator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, cool that's project. Hilarious. Um, so yeah, and I guess that, that, that's going to wrap it up for this week, what's, right? What's this, what's this thing at the end of, uh, at the end of our sheet that says, mm-hmm? Oh yeah, it says, uh, claims it's for shopping gifts online. 
Oh, okay. I'm just trying to interpret Parker's notes here. Yeah, my notes are always all over the place. Mm -hmm. <laughs> all right, and that's uh, that's going to wrap up this week's uh, Macrofab Engineering Podcast, right? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and so we were your hosts, Parker Dillman. And Stephen Craig. We'll catch you all next time. Take it easy. <laughs> <laughs>